0: tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacy LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today, this is part one of a webinar that we held back in May called Targeted TNR and Getting the Most Bang for Your Buck. This was done in uh, partnership with the folks at Neighborhood Cats. Uh, We just felt these webinars are so great that we would like to make them into podcasts. So those of you who are out there and driving around and commuting and at work and they can listen and tune in, if you'd like to check out the video, it is at our YouTube page or you can check it out on the communitycatspodcast.com website. So this is part one. We'll have part two next week. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you'll get a reminder. It is called Targeted TNR and Getting the Most Bang for Your Buck. As always, check out information at communitycatspodcast.com slash TNR. So we have Susie Richmond is the Executive Director of Neighborhood Cats. She joined the organization after over 20 years running a major New York City shelter and nonprofit veterinary clinic. At Neighborhood Cats, she has led multiple large-scale TNR projects in New York City and northern New Jersey, managed a program for providing scholarships to veterinarians for training in high-volume spay neuter of community cats, and co-authored the Humane Society of the United States online course on TNR. In her spare time, she can often be found trapping feral cats on Maui. And then we have Brian Cordes, who is the co-founder and national programs director for Neighborhood Cats, a leading community cat advocacy group with hands-on programs in New York City, New Jersey, and Maui. Currently, he and his wife, Susie Richmond, live in Hawaii and can usually be found trapping cats or releasing them after they've been neutered. In between stints with neighborhood cats, he served as a grants manager for PetSmart Charities, overseeing over $21 million in TNR and spay neuter projects. He has produced many of the leading educational materials on Trap data Return, including award-winning books and videos, has assisted numerous communities in setting up large-scale TNR programs, and is a frequent presenter on community cat issues. Brian has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Cornell University and a JD from the University of California, Berkeley. All right, Brian, it's over to you.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Stacy. Okay, so let's get into the topic for today. You know, first, the essential problem, of course, is that there's always more need than there are resources to address that need, especially in animal welfare. And then especially when we're talking about community cats and TNR. So, too many cats, not enough surgeries, trappers, traps, you know, people to transport, whatever it might be, especially funds. So, the question becomes, how do we make progress when we're outnumbered? And, you know, essentially, how do we maximize the impact of what resources we do have? And a big part of that solution is targeting. Basically, targeting can be defined as concentrating limited resources, in a geographic area of high need, and you're doing that in order to maximize impact. So let's break that down a little bit. These are the elements of targeting. So there are limited resources, so we we just talked about that. And what you're doing is you're taking what resources you do have and you're concentrating them, you're focusing them in one specific area. You're not spreading them all, maybe throughout your service area or whoever calls first, but you're strategically choosing one location and you're going to maybe not all your resources, but a significant part of them. That area ideally is going to be one of high need. And in the case of TNR, that usually translates into there's a lot of community cats there. When we talk about maximizing the impact of our limited resources, it's always important to ask yourself, well, what do you mean by impact? What are the goals? There may be many others, But these are usually the primary ones when we're doing TNR on a community level. We want fewer cats on the landscape. We want lower intake into our shelters, which in turn translates into lower euthanasia for cats, and fewer complaints. And if you're a municipal official, getting fewer complaints about cats may be at the top of your list. So this is what we're trying to accomplish when we're doing targeting. So I want to start by actually not talking about cats but about other areas, other topics where targeting is involved. To make the point that this is not unique to animal welfare, it's a practice that has been used in other areas successfully for quite some time. And what you're seeing here in this slide is a map of New York City. And so there was a time, you know, maybe 20 years ago or so, where, you know, the crime problem in New York City was really quite severe. And new strategies were being introduced in order to combat that. And the first step that was taken was the police department made a map of all the homicides that had taken place in this city over the course of uh, six, seven years. And what you're seeing in this map is the green dots or wherever a homicide took place. What you can see is how these um, areas are concentrated, right? The green, I think, is with a gun. Getting kind of gruesome here, I know. (laughs) But um, you can see how there's um, real concentrations of crime in upper Manhattan and the lower Bronx. And then down at the bottom of your screen, you can see there's uh, about the middle of Brooklyn. So this is where the high crime areas were taking place. So once they identified these areas, then they implemented their strategies. And that's, again, you see the same map that we just saw on your right. And on your left, what the police department did was they took all the graduates from their uh, police academy, all the rookies, And they surged them into these high crime areas. And they started a, what at times, very controversial stop and frisk policy. And on the map on your left, you can see that the darker areas are the ones where the police activity intensified. And notice how that completely overlaps with the areas that were identified as having the most homicides. So this was a way of targeting police resources into high crime areas. And it was very successful. Again, not without controversy, the way they were doing stop and frisk had left a lot to be desired and was highly discriminatory, and there are constitutional issues with that. But in terms of suppressing crime, it drove the homicide rate throughout the city down, you know, dramatically. As another example, you can plot poverty. So in this map of New York City, the darker red areas are the ones with single-parent households, the most single-parent households living below the poverty line. Not coincidentally those areas overlap a lot with the areas where there's high crime. So obviously there's a relationship between crime and poverty, but for the purposes of the um, New York city government, this was one of the maps that they created that helped inform them about, all right, where are you going to set up shelters? Where are you going to surge resources, clinics, staff in order to assist people who who are struggling economically? Targeting has, has been used in other areas and has been very successful. Now I want to distinguish the kind of targeting we're talking about today from another form of targeting that sometimes gets people confused and that's what we call demographic targeting and this is an example of a podcast's target audience so they you know survey their audience and they see who's listening in and you can see if you're looking at this podcast audience you would see that it's mostly male uh, married men with children right so you're going to um, orienting your programming towards that particular demographic and your advertising and everything else. So advertisers with products relevant to married men with children are going to like this podcast. In that case, what they're doing is they're targeting a specific demographic. So that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about targeted TNR. We're talking about a geographic form of targeting. So on the left there, that would be a targeted TNR um, uh, situation where we're looking at a specific part, a downtown district, for example, whereas we're not targeting something like elderly caretakers or low-income caretakers. We're lo- talking about specifically about geography, not about the demographic characteristics of the people who are there. So let's start a colony of 10 cats, like a, a kind of a typical backyard looks like Florida to me with the the palm trees and all that, we have a 10-cat backyard colony. And um, these cats are not altered, and some of them are, say, at least two or three years old. The first thing I want to start off with asking everybody, well, if these cats are not fixed, and there are 10 of them, and some of them have been around for at least a few years, how come it doesn't look like this? Uh, We've all seen the famous graphic, right, which is the cat pyramid. If you have two cats, and they have two litters a year, and three of them survive, and blah, 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 after you know six years, you've got a kajillion cats, right? How come that isn't happening in our example? Any guesses? Limited resources, that's a good start. Um, what's, what would be the key f- predation? Yeah, that might be part of it. But what, what would be the key phrase would describe the limit that's on how many cats can be in a certain area? carrying capacity. Okay, you somebody nailed it. Sorry, I don't I'm not able to to click and see the names, but yes, that's it. It's about carrying capacity. I'm bringing this up because in order to really understand targeting and why it's necessary, you have to understand the concept of carrying capacity. So, the reason that there are 10 cats in that backyard colony and if you do nothing in 2 more years there will probably still be around 10 cats give or take a few in that area is because there's only so many cats that that particular location can support. That's called the carrying capacity. That capacity is limited by the things you see listed here, how much food is available, how much shelter is available, kitten mortality, what's the size of the territory, how many cats can coexist there, and also something that I call the social tolerance level, which is maybe people tolerate those 10 cats and they're running around in their backyards, but Let's say it got to 20, then all of a sudden you're getting calls to animal control or people are trapping them themselves and maybe abandoning them or surrendering them to a shelter. All these things combine, but primarily food is the most obvious one. Think about another animal, like say deer, and you've got deer living in, in a forest, right? Well, there's only so much food in that forest. So when the deer population hits that limit, then natural forces take over, right? The lack of food will lead to maltrition, to starvation, then nature starts to control. Some of the deer will go off, try to find new territory. It's the same thing with cats. When the carrying capacity of an environment is reached, then you start to see things like tomcats killing kittens. You start to see disease setting in. You start to see cats heading out and trying to find new areas that they can reach and recolonize. Now, with cats, it's a little bit different because the food source is what we call fungible, meaning that it can grow or shrink according to the number of animals. So somebody is feeding 10 cats and then they see a litter of kittens and now there's 15 cats. They can increase the food source, unlike the forest with the deers. However, even that has a limit. To how many cats somebody is just going to be willing or able to feed. And then you have these other factors kicking in too, like shelter and again, social tolerance level. The rest of the neighborhood is not going to uh, stand by and watch that happen. So the idea is that there's a natural cap to how many cats can be at a specific location. So we go back to our colony of cats, and there are 10 because that's the carrying capacity of this particular neighborhood.
0: Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? Watch the taming feral kittens and cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay-Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the companion case management module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients, and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case, so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community.
1: Now, let's say we're going to do TNR here, and we just kind of grab three cats and fix them. And we think to ourselves, well, that's three fewer cats who can reproduce. So we're making progress. Is that true? Are you making any progress? No. And why not? You're not because, remember, the carrying capacity is around 10, and the seven cats that are not fixed can produce plenty of kittens and more than enough to keep the level of the population at around 10. You've certainly, you've helped those three cats as individuals. They'll be healthier, but you've done nothing to control. From a population control point of view, you've wasted three surgeries. And that's something that, especially these days, we really don't want to do. The answer to that, of course, is fix all the cats or as close to 100% of them as you possibly can. And this is what we call colony level targeting. When we're talking about a specific group of cats and we're trapping them out, we're not just putting out traps and grabbing the first four or five or six. We're staying there until we can get as close to 100% of them fixed as possible because that gives us our best opportunity for the population to go down over time. There are other factors we'll talk about, such as immigration of new cats or abandonment, which can make the population go back up. But nonetheless, this is your best opportunity. And if you're not having any kittens coming from that colony itself, also, of course, because you're you're maximizing, remember, population decline is one goal, nuisance abatement may well be another. And once the cats are fixed, they're not caterwauling in the middle of the night, they're not spraying the backyard with a really noxious odor. And so the social tolerance level will go up and that will also help the cats. Now that you're not having any kittens being produced at this location, you're also potentially lowering intake. So these are all beneficial things. So let's look at this at the community level. And this is where we go to Ferrellville. So here we have a town that is somewhat shaped like Iowa that's broken into four zip codes each zip code in our hypothetical right now has 25 community cats. There's 100 cats altogether in town, but we only have 20 surgeries that we can use, right? That, you know, common situation where the need is way more than the resources available to address it. So how do we make progress? Uh, Well, we talked about if you don't do any targeting, this is what that looks like on a community level. You've got cats here and there who are fixed, but with any, within any particular group of cats, you haven't reached a high enough percentage. Your sterilization rate is too low to have any potential population decline. So you've helped 20 cats, you've done nothing to reduce the population of community cats in Farrellville. So instead, if we go to colony level targeting, We take the same 20 surgeries and we focus them on colonies instead of on random individuals. Then we start to get 100% sterilization rates, or or at least much higher, as close to 100% as we can. We start to improve our chances of the cat population declining over time. But there's a problem—not necessarily a problem—but this is still not the we want to maximize. We want to get the most bang for our buck out of our TNR resources, and especially surgeries. And this is not maximized. It's an improvement over just randomly picking up and fixing cats, but it's not the best we can do. So why is that? What is the problem? It still needs to be solved with this situation. Cat migration? Yeah. Okay. And why would there be cat migration? Why would cats move into into colonies? We still have 20 surgeries, but that's all the most we have. A more efficient way to do it would be what we call community-level targeting. And that's to take all 20 surgeries and not just target colonies, but target colonies in a specific section of the community. So it's not just the colony that has a high sterilization rate, it's the whole section of town. The reasons for that, we're gonna circle back to the concept of carrying capacity. And let me go through that because it's such an important point about why this is a better way to go about it than this. So let's talk about the vacuum effect. Our hypothetical here is we've got a grocery store that dumps out a certain amount of food every day. That's our garbage can. Couldn't find a dumpster, so that will have to do. There's enough food put out every day in the dumpster to support a colony of 10 cats. And this is a little easier to understand because this is not a fungible food source. This is not going to go up or down. There's X amount of, unless their business grows quite a bit, They're going to be putting out the same amount of potential food every day, so that's as many cats as we're going to have there. So we have our colony of 10 cats, and somebody decides we don't want cats there, so we're just going to get rid of them, and boom, they're gone. Okay, no more cats. Why isn't this going to work if we're looking to lower the cat population? How come just taking them away isn't going to be successful? There's still food. Yes, absolutely. So this grocery store doesn't exist on an island by itself, right? It's in a neighborhood and that neighborhood has other community cat colonies. And if they're not altered, then they're bumping up against their carrying capacity, right? And one of the things that happens when there's too many cats and too little food is some of the cats will become pioneers and they'll go out and they'll start searching for new food sources. And lo and behold, the grocery store food source isn't being used. So sooner or later, usually sooner, um, Adam and Eve show up, right? And they look at each other and say, hey, you know, this is a nice place. There's, there's no one here. Uh, there's lots of food. You know, let's settle down and uh, have a family or two. And boom, within a couple of breeding cycles, you're right back up to 10 cats. This is why trap and remove or you know trap and kill trap and euthanize that approach does not work it only works temporarily you get a brief respite before new cats move in they're not altered there's no caretaker nobody's monitoring it and they go right back up to the carrying capacity of that particular location so let's go back to the beginning with our 10 cats instead of removing them let's tnr them okay So they're all fixed. They're not reproducing, no kittens. We come back in a few years and we're down to six cats. So we've made a lot of progress, right? Through colony level targeting, but there's still a problem. Can you tell me what that is? It's a pretty straightforward one. Food, food's still there and new cats will move in. Okay, you guys are good. There's six cats left, right? But there's still food for 10. They're still in a neighborhood with other community cat colonies that have not been TNR'd in our hypothetical. So they need new food sources. And sooner or later, a couple of those cats at least are going to come into the discover the grocery store. And what happens with community cats is if the number of cats matches the available food out of sight, my experience is they will defend their territory fiercely from newcomers. But if there's more than enough food, they're much more welcoming to new cats moving in because there's plenty of food to go around. So you end up reversing some of the gains that you had. Hopefully, not all, usually not all in my experience, but you do potentially lose some of them. And again, what is the answer to this? Well, the way to prevent that type of immigration and that type of vacuum effect is to uh, TNR the entire colony, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, the entire community this is where targeting comes in. So instead of fixing all the cats at the grocery store and then running off to another part of town and fixing all the cats in a different colony, same number of surgeries, but allocate them to the same area, the same location, and you can eliminate the vacuum effect because of all the cats in the community, if all the different colonies are sterilized and their populations are declining at the same time, you've eliminated feral cat, community cat migration. As a source of new cats, you still have to deal potentially with abandoned cats or lost cats. If you have caretakers in place, they can usually, usually those guys are friendly and they can be picked up and um, rehomed or taken to the shelter. But by eliminating the migration between community cat colonies, you've maximized the population decline potential of your surgeries. So this is where targeting comes in and where targeting is just so important. Let's look for a moment, get a little more esoteric here. How many of you have heard of the so-called 70% rule? So those of you who have not, that's a notion that kind of floated around for a while that it, it was kind of on the right track with targeting. And the idea is that unless you get a certain percentage of the cats fixed in a colony, you're not making any progress in terms of population control. And the line was drawn at 70%. So it turns out that that number is somewhat arbitrary. In fact, it's completely arbitrary. And so we frame it as as close to one hundred percent as you can is a, is a much better way of looking at it because it all depends, right? If you have seven cats, a ten cat colony, you fix seven of them, but the ones that aren't are one male and two females. Well, you know that's probably not going to work so well. So you want to try to get all of them. But the concept that you have to hit a tipping point as somebody wrote or a threshold is accurate. And that's the foundation for targeting lies in that concept. So the idea there's a threshold on a colony level is accurate, whatever that number happens to be. The problem that we have is that often people take that concept and they extrapolate it to the community level, right, and you'll see statements, especially by opponents of trap-neuter return, and they'll say, well, it requires way too many resources because and this was literally in a published paper because you would have to fix 70% of the community cats in the entire county of San Diego before you would achieve any population decline. And that's according to the TNR people themselves and their 70% rule. That's not true. That's a mistake. It's accurate on the colony level. It is not accurate on the community level, you don't have to do 70% of all the cats in New York City in order for population decline to happen. As we've seen, you can target 20%, but if you do it in this concentrated way where you're focusing on one part of the community and you're getting those high sterilization rates within that section, there'll be a little bit of immigration at the borders, but by and large, you'll have defeated the vacuum effect So in zip codes one, two, and three, we're gonna stay pretty close to carrying capacity and those numbers aren't gonna change very much up or down. But in zip code number four, we're gonna see the population start to drop. By doing a quarter of the community and getting a quarter of the community to have a falling cat population while the other three are remaining steady, obviously the sum of the whole is the number of cats are going down. And the more colonies and areas that you achieve high sterilization rates, the more potential population decline you'll have. So once you're done with zip code four, then maybe you move over to zip code two, and now half of your community has a falling cat population while the other half is fairly steady. And in that way, we don't need to do 70%. We can go bit by bit as long as we do it in a strategic manner. And to show you that this is not just theory, I want to show you some, actual examples where this approach has been taken. And this is a a project that was performed by the Humane Society of Tampa Bay back in um, 2010, 2012, and they targeted zip code 33612. If you look at your slide on the upper right where it says University Mall, it's a little bit lighter, there's a red line around it, that's the target zip code. There were um, 44,600 human population, and we'll talk about how you select target areas but they looked at their county shelter intake data, and this was the second highest. This is where the second highest number of cats were coming from. So they decided that's what they were going to take on. Over the course of a little over two years, they fixed close to uh, 3,000 free-roaming cats in that zip code. One of the things that's really interesting about this project was their methodology. They had a full-time trapper who was supported by a team of volunteers, and they went block by block. They started at the western edge of the zip code and they moved east, but they didn't move to the next block until they had gotten as close to 100% as they could on the block they were on. So as they moved to the east, everything behind them was taken care of, which as we'll discuss later is very helpful when it comes to preventing immigration from reversing your population gains. He also had a wrapped vehicle that the trapper always was in. You know, it said you made sight of Tampa Bay, call for free surgeries or help with trapping. And they used uh, yard signs. So here are the results, which were, were pretty dramatic. The chart on the left is the intake coming from that zip code. And you can see how compared to the baseline year of 2009, which was the year before the project began, intake from that zip code dropped by almost half. Also, what's interesting is that the project ended in 2012 but intake continued to drop in 2013, the year after it ended. If you look at this uh, chart on your right, that's everywhere else in Hillsborough County's service area, except for zip code 33612. Now that went down too, but the drop was three times faster, just about three times faster in the target zip code. And in 2013, in the rest of the service area, intake started to tick up again. So you can see how dramatic. The impact was on uh, at least on intake. This is another example, also done in Florida, also targeting a zip code, this time in Gainesville, which had a, a smaller number of people 18,000 uh, human population. In this study, about 2,400 cats were TNR'd or were trapped over two years. A lot of those cats were removed for adoption, almost half of them, and the other half were returned. So the results of that, I'll break this down for you. The target area is there on your left. Uh, the bottom line numbers are there on the, on the bottom of the charts, intake from that zip code dropped by 66% during the actual project period, and euthanasia dropped by 95% because it's community cats that end up making up usually the best bulk of cats that are put down. So when they stop coming in, the euthanasia rate starts dropping a lot faster than even the intake rate. So pretty, pretty dramatic decline. Whereas the chart on your right is the rest of the Alachua County Animal Services target area. And again, intake dropped, but at a fifth of the pace from the target area. And, and of course, euthanasia went down 30%, which is great, but nothing compared to the 95% in the target area. So these two study, you know, what, well, one was not a study. This, this last one was an actual academic study that's been published. But you can see how dramatic the results were also want to tell you about Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is um, our old stomping grounds for our head cat here, Stacy, who was the head of Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society during a lot of this project. This is um, a river town in Massachusetts, coastal Massachusetts. And in 1992, there were approximately 300 cats who were living on the riverbanks where there were lots of restaurants and uh, a high tourist area. So there were lots of complaints or you know, a big problem with the cat overpopulation. So beginning in 1992, a community TNR program was initiated. And eventually, over the course of, I think it was about six or seven years, all the cats were either fixed or adopted. The last cat passed away in 2009. And um, that kitty, by the time he passed away, had, I think, over 30 feeders <laughs> who had signed up. For shifts, it was an extremely well organized program, and you know people enjoyed doing it. But because all the cats in the community were fixed, and there was a natural barrier of a river from new cats moving in, plus Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society opened up a shelter so people wouldn't be abandoning cats, they took a very holistic approach, and they were able to completely eliminate the community cat population from this particular location. And you can read about it in uh, the published study that you see cited here. Now, one of the more exciting research studies that's been done in recent times was done in kind of a suburb of Tel Aviv in uh, Israel. And you had to talk about this one quite a bit because it's by far the largest studied targeted project that that we have on record. So this is a city that had about two hundred and forty thousand people living in about ten square miles. And the study took place over the course of 12 years so there's a lot of data that came out of this from 2007 through 2009 the researchers did nothing except collect data so count the number of cats establish methodologies for doing that get to learn the area and you can see the yellow line there that's the part of the city that was was researched outside of that those kind of uh, lined areas were more like industrial zones or parks or things. For whatever reason, there weren't food sources, so there were not uh, any significant number of community cats outside the yellow area. After they had done all this counting, then they got into doing the actual TNR, and that took place over the course of five years and involved close to 11,000 spade-neuter surgeries. And the way they did it was they divided the city in half. There's the black areas, and there's the gray areas. And in the black areas, they did what they called high intensity trap neuter to return. So that would be the kind of targeting that we're talking about today. And the gray areas, the rest of the city, they did some TNR, but they didn't really concentrate their resources. They didn't focus. They kind of like if somebody brought a cat in, they would fix the cat, but they didn't really you know, focus their resources on those areas. They focused them on the black areas. At the end of the five-year period, the black areas had achieved a 71% sterilization rate, whereas the gray areas only had 33%. And when you looked at the city as a whole, it came to 51%. The results were pretty interesting. Overall, in the city as a whole, the population went up by 26% not good, right? Not, not a very good result when you're trying to achieve population decline. Interestingly, where they did target a TNR, the population remained stable. It didn't go up, it didn't go down, but still not exactly the results we're looking for, right? We want population decline. We don't want it going up. We don't want it just staying stable. So they went into a third phase where they just did intensive TNR everywhere, They no longer divided it up into low and high areas. They tried to target the entire city. So overall, they achieved a rate of 72%, and now they started to see results. They started to see kit numbers stable, but the overall cat population going down about 23%. When the whole area was targeted, it worked. When sections only were targeted, it didn't. So they concluded that when you have a target area, doing intensive TNR in a kind of spatial way that's continuous, meaning you're doing areas that are next to each other, not just dividing it up kind of randomly, that helps prevent immigration from low sterilization areas into high sterilization areas, and you start to get population decline. So it does validate targeting, but it also speaks to the importance of choosing your target area well. I think it's interesting to go back to the that second phase where it didn't work, right? Where the overall population went up 26%. And the yellow lines that I've drawn here are the borders between the high sterilization areas and the low sterilization areas. And you can see how extensive those borders are and how the opportunity for immigration, like we were talking about before, when you when you have, we know from what we've just discussed, that it's a low sterilization area basically means there's no population decline possible because there's too many cats reproducing. They're hitting their carrying capacity. They're looking for new areas to go. Uh, We have a potentially declining population in the high-intensity areas, but then the cats moving in from the uh, areas that have not been adequately TNR'd balance out any population decline. So immigration in this situation is obviously a very significant factor. And there's so many opportunities, the way they drew the map and selected where to do height intensity or not, that it kind of crashed the project if you were looking for population decline. So you may be asking like, why did they choose these in in this matter? They chose them by the equivalent of census districts and they did it randomly. And I think that was part of the research was they want to see what the effects would be. And so now we know. But now, if they had started that second phase where they were only going to do high intensity TNR in half the city, they should have done it like this. That's where they should have drawn the line. And either the east side or the west side, they should have put all their surgeries, not wasted the ones in the gray areas, and not tried to do the whole randomly throughout the city, just picked half of it, minimized the border which would have minimized the amount of immigration. And then I think you would have seen uh, much different results. Uh, you would have seen, the, um, let's say, everything to the left of your screen. The western part of the city, let's say there was no TNR going on there. All the surgeries, that was all gray area. All the surgeries that were done were done to the um, eastern half of the city. That became a black area. I bet you would have seen a lot more population decline in the eastern area where all the high intensity was done.